How's it going, coaches? Thank you for tuning in wherever you are listening. I know for those of us in Texas and really coaches across the South, we are finally enjoying some cooler temperatures, which is always good. I think game time temperatures for us Friday night were in the 40s, so that was really awesome to finally get a break from the heat. Anyway, I hope this episode finds you and your program doing well. As always, we have a great episode lined up for you today. This time we talk with a former college teammate of mine and Liberty University defensive line coach Josh Aldridge. The Flames were on an open week this week, so Coach Aldridge was gracious enough to take some time and talk with us, and he has some great stuff for you today. But before we get to that, I'm going to roll out the second edition of a brand new segment that I'm calling upon further review. Okay, so this is a segment where we have some fun. I give my take on a given topic. And this week, kind of like last time we did this, uh, once again, we're talking coaching wear today. And, you know, this isn't um, like my crusade. You know, this isn't I'm not a I'm not a, a, a fashion Nazi or, or or anything like that. I just take these things as I see them. You know, I take things as they come to me. And this is another issue that I noticed um, since the last time we did this segment. And I thought that for the betterment of our profession, that it needed to be brought to light. And so once again, we're going to we're going to I'm going to I'm going to give my take or my opinion And that's what it is, my take, my opinion on something that that coaches are wearing, some of us are wearing, that we should definitely not be wearing, okay? Uh, If you are a regular listener to this podcast, I I think, no, I don't don't even think, I know that you're going to be in 100% agreement with me on this topic. So, coaches, here it is. There is absolutely no scenario or circumstance where you, as a grown man, a professional, should wear tights underneath your coaching shorts. Like, what are you doing? Please tell me what the point of wearing those is. You know, maybe I'm missing it. Maybe you can convince me that looking that ridiculous is necessary and beneficial, but I seriously doubt that the benefits of wearing tights outweigh the laughs and ridicule that I promise you you are getting either to your face or behind your back. But, you know, our players wear tights. That's fine. You know, especially DBs. Sometimes if you're playing on some rough turf or whatever, they wear tights. You know, honestly, they don't really necessarily need them anyway most of the time. But, you know, that's kind of one of those things. Players wear tights. But coaches, no, say no to tights. You know, we don't need to dress like our players. This isn't baseball. You know, if you want to dress like your players, you know, you want to wear wear your, you know, Wear the stirrups, wear the cleats, wear the coaching pants and the jersey and the hat. Man, go coach baseball, all right? And go all out, dude. You can relive your glory days and dress up like your players. Go coach baseball, not in football. Wearing tights under shorts is a trend. That, I mean, that, that stopped being cool. That stops being cool once you get out of college and move out of your parents' house and start paying your own bills, okay? You know, it's, it's kind of like... Jeff Foxworthy did a, a bit, has done a bit before, um, and he was talking about women's clothing. And certain articles of women's clothing have age limits, or at least they should have age limits. And and really, that's the same for coaching clothes, uh, or for coaching styles, for coaching fashion. Uh, like I'll give you another one. Okay, besides tights, wearing tights under your shorts, jerseys with your name or nickname on the back. If you are a grown man. And you own a jersey of your favorite sports team, and it's hanging up in your closet, and you wear it out in public, and it has your own last name or your nickname. That's even worse. Your nickname on the back, you need to grow up, okay? Now, unless you're still living with your mom and eating SpaghettiOs and Pop-Tarts, you need to ditch the jersey. Your fifth grade son wants to do that? Awesome. Get him a jersey with his name on the back. But you, as a coach in his mid-40s, That's a little bit desperate. Okay, so jerseys of your favorite sports team with your name or your nickname on the back, that's a no-no age limit for that. We're going to say probably middle school, okay? Uh, The other one, you see this a lot with kids today, is the message t-shirts. You know, it says like, ice water in my veins, and it's a Nike shirt, or certified baller, you know, something like that. There is no reason why anyone passed the sixth grade should be wearing a shirt like that. So coaches, say no to those shirts. Now, you know, you see some of the older coaches, you like to wear like the old guys rule shirts, you know? I mean, hey, if you're still in this profession 
and you and you can wear an old guy's rule shirt, then go at it, dude. You've earned it. You've been doing this for a long time, longer than, than I've been born probably. So you want to wear your old guy's rule shirt, that's fine. The other exception to this is if you're a big dude, you know, you're an O-line, D-line guy, and you like to wear the big dog clothing, I don't even know if that's still a thing anymore, but it used to be back like in the 90s, you know, big dog clothing. You want to wear one of those shirts, that's fine. But other than that, message shirts, those are those are out, dude. You need to quit. You need to chill out with those. So back to my my previous point, wearing tights under your shorts. Again, coaches, if you're one of those guys that does it and you feel really strongly about that, then hit us up on Twitter. Let me know what I'm missing. You know, maybe maybe you maybe you'll convert me. I'm open to being convinced otherwise, but I don't think you're going to be able to give me a sound reason as to why you would be wearing tights in public underneath your shorts like that. Another thing, football coaches shouldn't wear gloves. Okay, now I know that I'm picking on a certain type of coach when I'm talking about no tights under the shorts and no gloves. I'm talking to your the wide receiver and DB coaches. Okay, and you guys are awesome. You know, y'all coach the coolest position on the field. Y'all usually got the best swag. Y'all usually the best looking coaches. You know, you got all these things going for you. That's cool, man. But enough with the tights and the gloves. Okay, why would you need to wear gloves? Why? For the time that your quarterback throws a ball out of bounds, you need to, you know, OBJ one on the sideline and show everybody you still got it. Or now I can get this. If you are an offensive coordinator or maybe a defense coordinator and you're signaling in plays and you're wearing gloves for the fact that so the kids can see your fingers, I mean, okay, I get it. But but I, I think, you know, wearing some cutter gloves is still a little uh iffy on that as far as that goes. You know, um maybe just Put some athletic tape around your fingers or whatever if that's really a big issue. But, yeah, no tights and and no gloves, okay? Uh, Now, if you're thinking, wow, this sounds like a coach on my staff, then you should – you really have one or two things that you need to do. Either have them listen to this podcast or make fun of them relentlessly until they start dressing like a professional adult. That's your professional responsibility to that coach. So, anyway, that's, uh, that's my take this week. On upon further review, like it or not, love it, shove it, whatever. Uh, no tights and no gloves, coaches. Come on, we're we're better than that. Let's let's act like adults, professionals here, and let's do away with the tights and the gloves. All right, now if you would like to uh, engage with us on these issues, or you have some other things that you think coaches should definitely not be wearing, hit us up on Twitter. I'll put a, a question out there uh, later on in the week, and uh, maybe we can get that rolling. That should be a lot of fun. Anyway, now let, let's turn our attention back to Coach Josh Aldridge, outstanding young coach who has really a bright future ahead of him and is definitely not a tights wearer, I might add. Coach Aldridge is in his first season as a defensive line coach at Liberty under Coach Hugh Freeze. And before coming to Liberty, Coach Aldridge was a defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at Lenore Ryan University during the 2018 season. During that season, the Bears posted a 12-2 record and ranked number one in the country in turnovers and ranked number one in the country in turnovers caused and number nine in scoring defense while advancing to the NCAA Division II Super Region II Finals. Prior to leading Lenore Ryan's defense, Coach Aldridge served as defensive line coach and recruiting coordinator at West Georgia University. Coach Aldridge helped West Georgia to back-to-back 12-win seasons, two NCAA Division II Super Region II titles, and a Gulf South Conference crown. Coach Aldridge came to West Georgia from Wachita Baptist University, where he was a defensive line coach there after serving as a graduate assistant at Lindenwood University in St. Louis. Coach Aldridge graduated from Harding University in 2012 with a degree in social sciences, where he was a four-year letter winner and a two-time All-Great American Conference honoree at defensive end for the Bisons. A Jackson, Tennessee native, Coach Aldridge attended Jackson Christian School, where he was twice selected as an All-State defensive lineman. Today, Coach Aldridge and I discuss his coach progression for his defensive line, including stance, starts, and hand placement. And then we talk pass rush technique for both interior and exterior defensive linemen. All of that and more on episode number 33 of KYPD. Josh, man, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. I know it's been a, it's been a long day for you. You're on your off week, but 
but on the road recruiting as well. So really appreciate you uh, taking some time out uh, of your day to talk some D-line play with us. Oh, yeah, man. Excited to, excited to be with you, man. And always want to talk a little ball. It's uh, a relief, honestly, at the end of the day, talk a little ball. So excited to be here. Well, Josh, we both played ball at Harding and uh, both played D-line there under current head coach Paul Simmons. You were a few years behind me and actually played with my, my younger brother Garrett. But that's about where the similarities end as far as that goes because you were a much better player than I was. But from what I understand, no. it was it was while you were there at Harding that you really realized you wanted to be a coach. So tell us a little about how all that came came about. Yeah, man, you know, for all the listeners, you know, that that's not necessarily true. I was Ty Taylor's backup. So y'all can just <laughs> just disregard what he just said. I was Ty Taylor's backup, and that's 100% fact and uh i learned a lot from ty and or coach taylor and uh as a young guy and how to work hard at practice and things like that i looked up i looked up to ty a lot honestly as a freshman uh but i came to college thinking i was going to be a lawyer uh i was pre-law and uh quickly figured out that just because you're good at school doesn't mean you like it and uh and i, I quickly realized that going to law school and things like that wasn't something I wasn't inter- I was interested in uh you know I just looked a lot I looked up a lot to the guys that were above me and uh my position coach coach Simmons and uh just how he led our group and things like that and I just loved the game so much and I just couldn't see myself being apart from it after college was over and uh you know as I progressed as an athlete I I, I was you know I thought I was pretty good at it but I was also smart enough to realize I wasn't probably going to be a NFL player, and even if I was, uh, you know, it wasn't going to last very long. And uh, I just knew I wanted to be around the game. So, just seeing how Coach Simmons led our position group and and those things, it, it was just something that really interested me in leading young young men and impacting their lives in a positive way while also coaching a game out. I was really dedicated to and spent so much time with. So. Uh, just being around my position coach really led me to football and being able to impact young men's lives for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us how you got your start in coaching. Uh, you know, I uh, I finished up in the fall of 2012, and, uh, you know, I, I redshirted, so I was there for four and a half years. And through my the fall of my senior year, I just really was already kind of laying the groundwork for trying to get a GA job. But the thing about it was I was already engaged to my wife, Jessica. And, uh, she was doing an internship in St. Louis. and uh, I went to a Glacier clinic. Uh, just I was still playing, honestly, uh, that uh, spring before my senior year in St. Louis while I was visiting her and just trying to make some contacts and things like that. And I just – uh, made a contact with the head coach at Lindenwood University at the time and drove up there and, you know, basically told him, look, I- I'm going to try to get some GA jobs and things like that, but if worse comes to worse, I'm a- my wife or my future wife's going to be in St. Louis and, uh, you know, I'd like to make a contact with you. And and uh, we talked for a while and I kept in contact with him during the year. And, uh, you know, at uh, – at one point during the season, I just told him, look, it doesn't look like I'm going to get one of these GA jobs I thought I was going to get. Uh, I'm going to be coming to St. Louis whether you got a spot for me or not. And uh, I actually uh, volunteered for him for about two weeks. And uh, a GA job just, you know, by the grace of God, opened up after I worked there for two weeks. And so I was a graduate assistant at Lindenwood uh, the spring of 2013. And uh, that's just, you know, kind of how I got rolling. Uh, yeah. I was actually the running backs coach. <laughs> That's the funny yeah. thing about it. I was, I was coaching running backs. I'd never even uh, played a skill position in my life, much less on offense. So uh, you know that was interesting. But it was that was a great startup for me. Well, as yeah, a young guy. yeah, and really, what a great lesson for for young guys who are getting ready to make that jump from college to to you know jumping into coaching, whether they, whether they want to get into high school or college that. You know, basically, you know, making your own breaks. You didn't come from a big school that, that you know, where you just kind of make that easy transition into being a GA or, a, you know, uh, some some sort of intern. You know, you really had to grind and and uh, c- kind of find your own way. And, and, and that's that's a, that's an awesome lesson for those, you know, young guys who are just now starting out. So from so from Linda Wood, uh, went to Wachita Baptist. Is that correct? 
Yeah, so I was at Lindenwood that spring, and then the D-line job at Wachita opened up um, in May, or around May, and uh, I got married on May the 26th, and I uh, interviewed for the D-line job at Wachita on May the 28th. Wow. Um, so, wow. Uh, on my way to a friend's wedding after ours, before we went on our honeymoon, I interviewed for the job at Wachita and uh, that was a full-time position. It wasn't paying much more than I was making as a GA, but it was still full-time coaching position. I was real passionate about D-line, and, uh, you know, I was excited about it. And uh, my poor wife, uh, you know, I had already gotten an apartment lined up that I lived in by myself for about three weeks, and then uh, she never slept a single night in it. And uh, we uh, went down there. I interviewed for that job, and I accepted it, and, went on our honeymoon and two days later I went, I went off to work. So, wow. uh, work, work in camp, but, uh, yeah, so that was a quick turnaround. It, it, it was a blessing. You know, a lot of people got a GA for a long time and this, that, and the other, um, you know, it was a blessing to have my full-time position at 23 years old and whatever I was. But, uh, you know, there were a lot of learning curves and things like that, learning on the fly. But, uh, yeah, I went to Wachita and then I was at, there for nine months and then i got hired at west georgia and i worked there for four years as the d-line coach and then uh i was the d coordinator at lenore ryan for for a year uh and then i you know obviously i'm at liberty now since december so um you know it's been a kind of a whirlwind honestly but uh it, it was a lot of a lot of uh learning and uh, it was, it's been a great experience for me obviously yeah it sounds like it for sure and and uh, with you being so close with my brother, I've kind of through him followed your career and and seen some of your games uh, on TV and online as as uh, as you've moved from place to place. And uh, so I'm just curious, talk about some of the highlights from 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 those places that you've been because you've been successful at each of those places. Talk about some of those some of those highlights from each of those each of those places that you've been. Well, you know, coming into Wachita, they weren't very good up front um, before I got there. Uh, I, I don't think I. I had an impact, obviously, but, um, you know, I worked with Chad Adams, D coordinator, and we, we flipped that place. They were last in defense uh, when we got there. I think we were third or, yeah, top three in almost every statistical category after I left. So uh, we had the individual leader in sacks after I left. That guy was, you know, that guy, you know, kind of turned the corner in one year. Antoine Patterson, he had a really good year. And, uh, you know, and then we went to West Georgia, and they hadn't won more than six games in any year in the last six years there, Coach Hall. And uh, we won 31 games in three years while he was there and uh, led the league in almost every statistical category on defense all three years there. Uh, We led the league in scoring and total defense every year. Uh, I worked there uh, all four years and uh, made the playoffs uh, three out of those four years and were – won the Gulf South Conference Championship, which is one of the toughest conferences in Division oh, yeah. Two. You know, yep. coaching numerous Division One bounce backs and NFL players and things like that, and coaching against those guys, obviously. So that's a really tough league. And um, won the conference and won back-to-back region titles and made the playoffs three out of those four years. So that's a that was a really fun experience um, doing that and seeing two guys drafted uh, that I coached and. I think I had six NFL guys uh, there while I was there play, you know, make at least training camp. You know, a lot of guys get cut and things like that and have a get a cup of coffee and a T-shirt. But at the same time, just seeing those guys get to uh, live that out was a was a enjoyable experience for me as a coach. Um, but and then going to LR, you know, you inherit a team that uh, went, you know, two and nine, I believe, the year before we got there, and then we completely turn around and win the league and go 10 and one and uh, 12 and two after the season's over coach chronic got coach of the year for all of college football uh, just the biggest turnaround in college sports you know we, we you know we improved them by 10 wins in one year um, yeah. basically with this exact same roster because um, that wasn't a transfer place you know we, we signed nothing but high school kids in the signing class so uh, doing that was one of the more enjoyable experiences, and obviously calling it for the first time um, as a young guy was was an enjoyable experience and a fun deal and a neat deal. 
uh, just to learn that way. Uh, but you know, those are really the highlights of each of those places. You know, like I said, I've been been really privileged to be around a lot of really good head coaches that and, and coordinators that have taught me a lot of things, and um, obviously work for one right now that I'm still learning a lot from. Uh, but but yeah, it's been it's been a good deal, man. It's been a fun ride so far. Well, yeah, for sure, and it definitely sounds like it. Like I said, you've been fortunate to to have some success at each of those places, and. And that is, you know, due in large part to just, you know, your work ethic and, and being in a position to take jobs where uh, you're in a, a good situation with, a, with you know, good coaches around you. So I, I'm just curious, what did you do when you were, you know, at each spot or what have you done or what are some things that you've done uh, to get the attention of the coaches above you and around you that allowed you to advance up the coaching ladder? Uh, you know, when I was at Lindenwood, I, I, I uh, worked with some good guys, and they kind of gave me some advice that, you know, everybody hears the whole uh, every day's a job interview and all, all that type of stuff. But I think the best advice I ever got was um, don't chase the money you want. Uh, chase the jobs you want, and you'll eventually get the money you want or get the things you want, you know. Um, and so I've never really focused on money – or location or anything like that, just more just on the, the quality of life and, uh, you know, the, the responsibility, um, you know, you know, like I said, you know, Wachita is a great place, but, you know, I wasn't making much money and living in Arkadelphia wasn't that glorious at the time. And, um, but it, it was mine, you know, I was coaching, you know, 18 guys by myself at 23 years old, you know, and, and that was just real important to me. And, uh, you know, that that's what I would encourage any young guy. You know, man, if you're working in the middle of nowhere, but those are your guys and it's your room and, and things like that, I think that's more important than the logo on your shirt, you know, and, yeah. and things like that. And, uh, you know, and focusing on that just ultimately uh, has allowed me to learn trial and error. You know, I've screwed plenty of things up. You know, what I thought at the time was a good idea on how to teach something or scheme and things like that, and I, I learned by fire uh, versus learning sitting in the back of a room while somebody else taught it. And, uh, you know, I just – I think that's helped me a lot personally. I think – and, in the, you know, you can grow in this business, you know, the opposite direction, and, I, and that's fine too, um, being able to learn around the greatest minds of football. And I've got to learn around some great minds. It wasn't at the SEC level and things like that necessarily, but uh, – but I, I learned more by fire, just doing things my own way, and screwing it up plenty of times, and uh, just seeing what works and what don't, what doesn't, and just spending more time in the off season learning from those people, not necessarily working for them. Um, and uh, you know, so there's plenty of ways to go about this business. You know, that, that's the one thing I'll say is you don't have to go be a GA at the number one school in America to learn ball. You know, right. um, so. That, that's been the one thing I've learned is uh, everybody's got their own way of learning it. Uh, you know, you just got to be diligent about how are you going to learn it, you know. Um, so it, it, that's been just kind of my route. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, you mentioned some guys, you know, learning from different guys, you know, where at different places you've been. Uh, when it comes to coaching defensive lines specifically, who are some coaches that you've learned from and gotten some things from over the years? Uh, you know, honestly, my position coach, um, you know, I think I was more just how to coach young people, uh, Coach Simmons at Harding, and um, how to motivate them and things like that. Um, schematically and fundamentally, I think Pete Jenkins has been uh, tremendous for me. Um, the longtime D-line coach at LSU oh, yeah. and the NFL and things yeah. like that, still consulting with people. Um, he he kind of transformed me as a coach while I was at West Georgia. Uh, Trey Scott's a good friend of mine that's at Georgia. You know, yep. we we kind of have similar philosophies, and I and I and I hate to name drop and things like that, but you know, those are the guys that have really uh, influenced me. Um, Scott Simons, who I work for currently as a as a coordinator, um, has you know influenced me tremendously. Is what when I was a coordinator at LR last year. I mean, I basically ran the same defense. Um, so, uh, those are some of the guys that really. Um, impacted me uh, fundamentally and schematically uh, over the course of my career so far. 
Let's talk about your your coaching progression for your defensive line. Discuss that, and and you know, including how you coach things like stances and starts and hands and things like that. You know, the first thing I think you got to talk about is you know your stance. Um, uh, for me, uh, are we in a what I call an attack react stance or react attack stance? Um, and that and that starts with alignment. So within our defense, we're going to talk about alignment stance key and assignment um, is how we start our progression. So alignment-wise, you know, if we're ever in any type of outside shade, so if we're in a, a one technique or a shade, as most people call it, or a three or a five or a nine, so any outside shade, we're going to be what I call a tech react. So uh, the progression for that is we're hips, hands, then our feet, um, meaning uh, we're going to come out of our hips, shoot our hands, rolling our elbows inside, and I'll talk about the hand placement of that here in a second. And, and then we're going to let our feet fall underneath us, um, emphasizing come out of our hips first. You know, I yeah, think yeah. I think in this in this world, um, you talk to guys that, that are what I just said, or they're a six-inch power step guy where they're emphasizing getting that six-inch power step in the ground, or they're, they're a, you know, a, a foot replace the down hand guy, yeah. you know. Um, and, and I think you can be successful in those things, but, um, you know, that's just how I choose to teach it. And the kind of the, the tree I'm from, um, is we're going to emphasize the hips first, because if you step underneath yourself, you're going to naturally raise your pads up, you know, which is funny, you know, the name of this podcast, but, uh, yeah. but I think, I think you're, I think you're just going to naturally, you know, raise your pads up if you take that six inch power step or replacing your hand first, you know, your power comes from your hips. I mean, all these coaches, all you great coaches that teach power cleans and squats and things like that, that's what your kids, you're coaching. You're coaching their hips. Well, if your foot comes before your hips, it doesn't matter how strong your hips are. Yeah. So uh, you got to bring your hips first and then your hands and then let, naturally let that foot fall underneath you. You know, that six-inch power step or whatever you, you want to call it should naturally happen if yeah. you bring your hips with you. So um, that's how we start. Uh, like I said, if you're in outside shade, you're attack, react, hips, hands, then feet. If you're inside shade or head up, so a zero, a two-eye, a two, a four-eye, a four, or a six, um, you're going to be what we call react attack, which means it's going to be feet, then my hips and hands. So I'm basically I'm going to step laterally as I react, and I'm react attack, leading that guy, and then bring those hips and hands with me. Um, and that's more so just because uh, you're either playing, usually you're typically playing some type of lag technique where you're playing behind the block. Yeah. Or, yep. you know, if I'm in a two-hour or four-hour, I'm in a vulnerable position because I've got my outside hand down, but the ball is inside. So yeah. if I'm attack-react, I'm naturally creating a situation where that guy can cut me out of that gap. Yeah. Um, so I want to be react-attack. And uh, that's how we teach that. Now, our hands, um, when we are a one-gap hand placement, um, which is when we are an outside shade, we're going to be sternum to near bicep. So um, as opposed to the old-school way of, uh, you know, the steering wheel or, you know, armpit to armpit, we're going to be shoulder near bicep. Now, I will say, I emphasize that as to what our one-gap hand placement is. Naturally, plenty of times it will end up being that old-school steering wheel, steering wheel um, hand placement. Um, but, you know, we're going to emphasize – and I'm not going to overcoach that, to be yep. honest with you. Yep. Um, but we're going to emphasize when we're a one-gap hand placement or outside shape, we want to be sternum to your bicep. Now, when we're a react attack or a two-gap hand placement, uh, we're going to be armpit to armpit and reading the screws of the helmet. Yeah. Um, as opposed to our eyes are reading um, the tip of the pad when we are uh, a one-gap uh, hand placement or a one-gap technique or attack-react. So uh, that's kind of our progression. Like I said, hips, hands, feet, that's my progression. One-gap, uh, you know, if we're a two-gap or react-attack player, we're uh, – feet, hips, hands, and the other thing I tell my kids is it's not one, two, three, it's hips, hands, slash feet. 
the hands and the feet come together yes. at the same time. Yep. So, um, but uh, you know that that that's that's kind of my progression as we go through it. Um, it's it's something you emphasize day one, and then you just don't waver from it. Um, you know, I think you are what you emphasize daily. Um, but that's not just something we're going to do during camp. We're going to do it every day. Yeah, we're going to do it every day. Speaking of everyday, what are some of your, you know, everyone talks about everyday drills, your EDDs. What are some of your everyday drills that you use to uh, reinforce those skills? Yep. yep, that's a great question. You know, every, so t- a normal practice for me, uh, or a normal week um, for most places I've worked is Sunday, you review the tape. It's just more of a walkthrough. You're not really doing any drills. And then Monday the kids are off because you got that main day today. And then Tuesdays are your, your, your big time work day. And on Tuesdays, we're going to do six-point explosion. So, you know, having our toes, our, our knees, and our hands in the ground, eyes up, chin up, neck on a brace, slight bending your elbows, um, rolling our hips through, uh, hands above our eyes, putting our, our uh, you know, our genitalia in the dirt. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, we're going to do that every single Tuesday and every single Wednesday. And usually the progression I do with that is we're going to do six-point explosion, and then we're going to do three-point layout, which is uh, being in a three-point stance, screwing your cleats in the ground, and not moving your feet. Yeah. Uh, so uh, rolling out of your hips and getting full extension of those hips in the ground, uh, straightening the stripe of, you know, if you had stripes down the side of your pants, straightening the, straightening the stripe of that pants, and then doing what I call pinching that penny between your butt cheeks. Oh, yeah, that's Pete um, Jenkins' language right there. And uh, that, that's a big coaching point for me is pinching the penny yeah. yep. um, for that. So so now you've emphasized six-point explosion coming from the ground, which is mainly your hips and your hands. And then now you're doing the same thing with three-point layout with just your hips and your hands. So leaving the feet out of it. And then from that, we'll do uh, three-point explosion um, which is putting it all together, uh, bringing our hip, bringing our hips, our hands, and then our feet, and then learn how to peek around the block, not over it, and uh, use a release on the blocker. Um, so we we do that plenty of different ways. Sometimes I add up back into it, but uh, but on Tuesdays it's just going to be by command, hit, peek, release. And we're going to use, we, we don't call it an escape. We call it a release because an escape to me means that guy's got control of you. So you got to escape from it. He ain't going to control us. We're going to control him. So uh, it's a release. I, I release you when I choose to. And uh, so it's going to be hit, peak, release, um, playing off of that block. So on Tuesdays, it's going to be six-point explosion, three-point layout, and then three-point explosion. And then Wednesdays, we're going to do six-point explosion again. I won't always do three-point layout. Sometimes I'll go straight to three-point explosion and just do, uh, you know, some other form of a hip explosion drill um, um, and then work through that. I'm always going to start with an agility. I'm never going to start with six-point explosion. So uh, we'll work uh, reaching out of footwork on air or releases on air. That's just something I don't usually do get-offs like the old school way of just getting off the ball. I think that can kind of somewhat be a waste of time because you're going to naturally get the get-offs done in all of your drills, you know, um, unless you feel like your kids struggle with that and you need to slow that down. Um, I think maybe at the high school level that, that might be the case, but, you know, I just don't feel like that's something I need to always emphasize or take five minutes of my small amount of individual to use. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I don't do that. I think they get that when they're on the sled because we got a ball over there that they're getting off when they're doing that, you know. So I think you're achieving the same thing. Um, so that's something I've eliminated. That's kind of honestly helped me with my efficiency in Indo is that we don't do we don't you know old school. All right, get off the ball. You know, here we go. You know, we don't we don't do that on any day except on game day. So um, that that's kind of helped me with my efficiency with my Indo and my yeah. everyday drills. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's go back to the uh, the six point explosion stuff and, and just that progression. Yep. Uh, is that done on a two man sled, or how are you are you doing that on a four man sled? How how do you do that? Well, you know, I've got a five man sled, but man, you know, I don't I don't think you need that. Um, one, 
because you're not going to be able to watch all those guys. So what's the point? You know, right, right. Uh, make sure you're watching each guy individually so that they're getting it right. You know, yeah. that that's my big emphasis in individual is, you know, I don't want a quality, uh, uh, you know, I don't want a, I don't want quantity over quality or whatever. I want a quantity of quality, you know. So, you know, anytime we do a skill drill, it's going to be one at a time and then all together fix it. You know, it's going to be, you know, Ty Taylor's up. I'm watching him, making sure he does it right. If you screwed something up, I'm saying make sure you fix it when we go all together. Then I turn around and look at Josh Aldridge and he goes, and I'm telling him what he screwed up. And then we're going all together, and then two new guys are up. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. so that's usually how I do it on the sled. I never have more than two guys going. Yeah. They're always going one at a time, and then all together. So that everybody's getting two reps before we roll out. And then yeah. if we're ever doing a skill drill on a line, so like, we're, you know, I'm skipping ahead, but if we're ever doing like pass rush drill or something like that, I'm walking, I'm doing down the line coaching where it's, this guy's going, this guy's going, this guy's going, and you're ready as I get to you. And then after the last guy goes, everybody goes all together. Hit. So it's go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah. All together, ready, go. And so everybody's getting two reps before we rotate. Yeah. So that's how we do skill drills on the line. Now on the sled, I'm a little different. I only do two guys um, because, I, you know, so like, for example, I've got a five-man sled. So I've got one guy going on the left tackle – and one guy going on the center, and I'm standing on the left guard, you yeah. know, and I'm just turning back and forth, yeah. you know. Uh, I, I'm not moving. So, you know, I think it's just all about efficiency because I know us all D-line coaches that are real serious about our indie. I mean, you never have enough. No. Nope. You know, you, you never you, you never have enough indie. So how efficient can you be with that indie while at the same time getting some quality of work, you know, because I really don't think you're getting quality of work if you got five guys doing six point at the same time, you can't see that every single one of them rolled their elbows inside. You can't see that every single one of them got their thumbs up. You might be able to see that all of them got their hips in the dirt, but how much quality of coaching are they actually getting if five of them are going at once? Right. So right. Um, that that's really been my deal, man. It's just how efficient can I be while giving them quality of coaching? And, and that's just, I think that comes with preparation, you know, going into practice you know you're not just going to roll out there and say all right here's the drill i'm doing where am i going to stand blah 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 i mean i think you've got to be real meticulous and then that comes with your guys learning your drills like you saying all right six point explosion and they are lined up and they are rolling you know i, I don't ever you know during camp i try to do a really good job of showing my guys the drills before we get out there that way i never have to teach a drill on the field and then from the season as it goes on you know it just takes care of itself yeah yeah. Um, but but that's kind of how I teach six point explosion. I'm on a I'm on a five man sled, but you know, like when I was at West Georgia, I had a two a two by two sled, and and you know, it didn't really matter. the The five man sled only came into effect just because like I can do some other drills where we got a stab and sprawl or we roll and get multiple things going, but one guy's still going. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. But but I don't think you need anything more than a two by two, honestly. Yeah. Well, so as you get into the season, which y'all are in the season now, uh, how yep. do you how do you tailor your drills to meet the specific needs of your players for that week? You know, depending on game plan or your opponent, what type of offense you're going up against, what type of blocking scheme yep. they're going to see. How do you tailor their drills to meet those address those needs? Well, you know, I think the ends are going to get mainly the same blocks every single week. Uh, if you're a four man front team, I mean, there's only so many blocks those ends are going to get. Yeah. Um, if you're a four-man front team, now if you're a three-man front team, yeah, there's going to be some different things those four eyes are going to get and things like that. But I would still consider those guys tackles. So um, I think it really goes into, um, from a block recognition standpoint, I think it comes into what those tackles are getting. Are you getting more zone combos? Do you get more gap scheme combos? So there's different things we do um, from a leverage standpoint on, on the sled, uh, working those double-team drills. Um, how to play off a slip or how to play, which I, which is what I call a zone combo or how to play off a platform, which is called a gap scheme combo or a bump combo, same difference. Um, and, and how to play those things. So I think, I think that really comes down to, um, the blocks they're getting, you know, 
uh, I think one thing that took a big step for me as a coach is when I stopped um, teaching my guys the plays, which I still do a lot, teaching my guys the plays they're getting. But more so, all right, as a two-hour this week, all these plays they're giving you, regardless of the play it is, you're going to get these three blocks, period. Yeah. You know, so um, work on these three blocks and, and giving that guy that, that emphasis. You know, as a three technique this week, you're never going to get a, you know, a zone combo in this formation. So understanding when I get this formation, I'm either getting a platform or I'm getting pin and pull or, you know, this, yep. that, and the other versus teaching them, all right, when you get this play, you're going to get power. Yeah, but do they understand when they get power that they're getting a platform double three and a three technique? You know, do they understand when they're getting zone in this formation that it's going to be a slip, you know, and, and things like that. So um, I think the biggest emphasis I've gotten uh, or I've given my guys is just, the uh, different blocks they're going to get week to week. And not only is that the drill, but just, you know, during during the season on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I mean, our endo is, you know, 50% just what I call box drill. Where we're over there just doing block rec. You know, we're just yeah. over there doing block recognition, just old school. I'm behind them, hand signaling to the O-line, the blocks they're getting, making sure they're doing a great job of burning their eyes on their keys. You know, so um, now – Situationally, you know, you, you face teams that run more screens or one more this or that, or you face a scrambling quarterback. So I think you got to cater whatever the game plan is or your coordinator's emphasis is on how we're going to win. You know, as a good assistant coach, that you know they're going to want to see you doing that in your individual. So you know, if we're facing a running quarterback, then we're going to create some type of scramble drill over there to the D line to make sure we can uh, contain him. And you know, if we're facing a team that lives in that's about the screen we're going to do a little extra pursuit type deal over there with us and things like that so um i think it's got to be within one the game plan and two what the offense is giving you yeah yeah well going back to your block recognition stuff are you doing that like full line or you do break those up and get your guys in a pods where they're working in groups of three how do you how do you knock that out to, to where you're being efficient yeah, and getting a bunch of reps yep that's a great that's a great question so i call it box drill so imagine being in a 10-yard box, so you've got um, a D-end working with two offensive linemen on the goal line to my left, and then a D-end working with two offensive linemen on the goal line to my right. And then behind me, you've got a three-technique and a nose guard working on four offensive linemen. Um, So I can go here to this D-end, give him two blocks, here to this DN, give him two blocks, turn around and give, you know, these two D tackles two different blocks or three blocks, however many. And then those guys rotate. You know, it's the guys yep. that are up next that are blocking. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, so I'm basically standing on the five. Yeah. And then I've got a group going on the 10 and two groups going on the goal line. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how I'm pretty efficient with that. Um, yeah, that's been really good for me. Um, I think it's a good way for everybody to see, you know, if you're not going, you're watching, you know, and understanding. I used to bust the D tackles up too, but I felt like um, big picture wise, it helped them if they went right next to each other like that, as opposed to like two on one, um, just understanding the, the fit of it, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and things like that. So I've gotten to where it's instead of, four different pods i've got three pods and yeah you know two small pods and one big pod yeah um so uh but that, that that's how i do it i call it box drill so like i tell my guys box drill and they just go all right where they are you yeah. know they know where to go yeah and all the detaps are blocking each other and those you know our, our bandits which is our weeks at the end are blocking each other and our ends are all blocking each other and they just get set up so yeah um and i'm just hand signaling and rolling yeah so what what are those guys keying when they're when they're in their stance and they're they're getting ready to get a, a, a different a, you know a, a run block? Uh, what what are those guys keying pre snap? Yep. So if we're attack react, we're, we're keying the tip of the pad. So if we're a we're a one gap, um, if we're a one gap uh, hand placement or a one gap alignment, we're tip of the pad. Um, and then if we're a two gap hand placement, so if we're ever head up, we're going to be reading the screws. Um, of the offensive lineman. So, you know, I've never been a via-the-net guy. Uh, or I, I've since, well, I say that never. I, I was at one point. But, 
it's hard to ask that guy to key the V of the neck or attack the V of the neck and still win that gap when you're a one-gap player because I feel like that makes you aim so tight um, that it creates a disadvantage for you. Now, we're going to emphasize hitting thick and putting our nose on his ear hole and things like that, but we're going to key the tip of the pad because yeah. um, the tip of the pad should tell us everything uh, yeah. that we need to know. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump into pass rush now. You've been fortunate to be at places uh, where you've had you've had defensive line units that led your conference in sacks, and every year that you've coached except one. Is that right? I think I got that right. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah so, that's right. So talk yeah. to us. That doesn't just happen by accident. You know, getting a sack and getting pressure on the quarterback is – uh, is is paramount today for for D linemen, uh, and and is, has to be a huge part of the defensive game plan. So talk to us about how you break down pass rush and coach that up with your guys. You know, I think the first thing you have to do is evaluate who you've got. Um, you know, I've I've really enjoyed over the years talking to high school coaches about this because obviously um, you have who you have to a certain extent with that. Yep. Um, so the first thing I think you have to evaluate what you have. You know. So schematically, how can we get to the quarterback? You know, um, is it better for us to rush three or rush four? Is it better for us to, you know, work an edge as opposed to collapse the pocket based on who the quarterback is and things like that? You know, I mean, some quarterbacks you face, you want them to throw it. You know, uh, you don't want to sack him. Yeah, honestly. exactly. You yeah. want to, you know, he can, he, he can only hurt you running. So, you know, uh, you know, I think to a certain extent, sometimes sacks can be a little overrated. Um, you know, just because, you know, you can affect the, you can successfully affect the quarterback and not sack him and that actually be more beneficial for your football team. But uh but anyways, um the first thing I think you have to evaluate is what can your guys as individuals do. You know, the example I always use is you never need to be teaching a long arm to a guy who doesn't have long arms. <laughs> yeah. Um so uh, you know, I think you've got to put the right tools in their toolbox uh, to help them be successful. So when I do pass rush drills, it's hardly ever just, all right, we're all working this rush. It's the DNs are working this rush and the D tackles are working this rush. Yeah. Or I've yeah. got this group of guys over here working this rush as these guys work this rush. Because there are certain rushes that I feel like all quality football players can use. And then there are certain rushes I feel like it's kind of like a dealer's choice. You know, you know, this is the one, you know, I don't think every guy can spin. You know, I think most guys agree with me. Not every no, your right. D lineman is athletic enough or has just the knack for being able to use a spin as a counter rush. You know, they got to just use a natural, regular inside rush as opposed to a spin move. Um, so, uh, you know, that's been the first thing. I just try to be really intentional about figuring out what my guys are good at. Um, so, um you know, the first thing we're going to talk about when it comes to pass rush is getting off the ball. Um, you you want to create momentum by rolling off of your hands. So what I mean by that is um, when you watch a track meet, I've never seen somebody win a track meet where, one, on the start, they didn't send their hands straight back to their hip. You know, your hand's going to go straight back to your hip, which does two things. Naturally creates momentum moving forward, and it keeps your pads down. Um, if that hand goes straight up or you just pick it up, then one, you're not creating momentum and two, your pads are going to pop straight up. So yeah. the first thing we want to talk about, you'll always hear me yelling at my guys is roll off your hand. Um, and I, and that was actually me skipping ahead. You know, the first thing we talk about is alignment. We, we want to be credit card alignment. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be able to slide anything between your hand and that ball except a credit card. That's how close we want to be. And uh, the way we keep ourselves offside or onsides is uh, we want to put our hand behind the ball and our head behind our hand. If you do that, you'll always be on. You'll, you'll never be offsides. Uh, so we put the hand behind the ball and our head behind our hand, and then we want to create momentum by rolling off our hand. And then the second part of that track mid analogy is I've never seen a guy want to track me without his toes pointed at the finish line. Well, the finish line is the quarterback. So my toes, you know, it's a race to see how quickly I can get my hips open get my toes pointed at the quarterback, mainly that inside foot. So if I get that inside foot pointed at the quarterback, I'm going to naturally um, open my hips and regardless of my flexibility. Now, other guys can do it quicker than others, but if I can get that inside toe pointed at the quarterback, I'm going to naturally flip my hips open and uh, be able to turn the corner. So 
those are the first things I emphasize. I feel like most of your guys that are going to be your starters at any level, you know, if they're quality enough to start for a high school football team, they can probably get those things done. Yeah. Um, so, you know, rolling off our hand, getting our toes to the quarterback and creating momentum is the first thing. Now, the second part of that is um, we obviously always want to work half a man. Um, we don't, we don't want to, you know, we want to give ourselves an opportunity to win the edge and then it's got to, you know, it's got to slightly determined within your scheme. What are you asking that guy to do? So for us, we're going to mainly be a full man front. Um, so we've got four rush lanes. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to teach rush lanes schematically. Um, I teach it like leveraging a kickoff. So you've got, you've got two, you know, whether you're twisting or just a base rush, you've got two guys responsible um, for the quarterback's ears, and you've got two guys responsible for his shoulders. You know, so I know some guys say lane one and lane two. You know, I, I think I, I like more visual keys for my guys. Um, so that's just kind of how I draw it up. You know, so when we drop a twist, you know, so where are you trying to end up? Coach, I'm ending up that left ear. You know, I'm ending up that right ear, that right shoulder, and things like that. So it just marries up with everything else we're doing. Yep. But so – uh, it, it just helps those guys understand where in relation to their pass rush where they need to end up. Um, so as they win that edge, um, working half a man, our aiming point is always we want to work wrists, elbow, wrists and elbows um, because you don't have any muscle on your wrists or elbows. you got tons of muscles on your deltoids and your shoulders and your biceps and your triceps. So if I was to, you know, um, club your tricep right now, you know, I might move your arm slightly, but you still could reach that hand out at me. Mm-hmm. If I clubbed your elbow, you couldn't reach your arm out at me. If I clubbed your wrist, you couldn't reach your arm out at me. So that's what we're always talking about, our wrists and elbows um, within all the rushes we use. I mean, I could go into detail about some of them, but just generally speaking, um, I think if you're emphasizing those things, you've got an opportunity to be successful because the get-off and the start – is over half the game. And um, if you can emphasize that and whatever rushes that are important to you as a coach and what those guys are good at of defeating the elbows and the wrists um, and squeezing those rush lanes I was talking about, I think you got a shot to be successful. Yeah. Well, and, and like you said, I mean, none of those – you haven't mentioned really one specific pass rush move yet, which I think is interesting. And, and I'm just – I was jotting some things down as you were talking there. Um, you know, because it, it really goes back to evaluating who you have and what they can do and then tailoring moves to fit those guys. I think sometimes as coaches, I know I've been guilty of this, you know, you see a rush on a, on a, a you know, Saturday afternoon football game or you see a rush on a Sunday, a, you know, a Sunday afternoon game and you want to go teach that to your guys. But, you know, uh, you're not really operating with the same cats that you're watching on TV, you know, and it's it's not necessarily just taking a rush and trying to mold it to a kid, but finding you know what that kid can do and all those things that you're talking about, as you mentioned, you know most high school kids can can get those things accomplished, whether it be attacking half a man, rolling off their hands, and attacking wrists and elbows. And if they can do that, then that's a great start to being a, a successful pass rusher. Yeah, you know, and I, I and I've worked. It's like I said again, it goes back to what you're trying to achieve defensively, not only who you have and. I've, I've worked places where the only way we could generate a pass rush was we twisted a lot, you know, and we worked on it and we worked the crap out of it because we weren't that great athletically, but my guys were smart and they could understand how to, you know, how to manipulate protections and things like that. And, and, uh, they're good salesmen and they worked hard, you know, so, yeah. you know, that's what we did. And, and I've worked other places where we were thin and we weren't real strong, but we could run. So we were really good speed pass rushers. So I taught, you know, the best speed rushes I knew and I figured out which ones they were good at. I've worked other places where we weren't real fast, but we were really stinking strong and we were really good at going speed to power and locking guys out and collapsing the pocket and getting a lot of coverage sacks. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's just gotta be, you gotta learn early on what you're good at and then run, you know, if, you know, like I said earlier, you know, there's no reason to be working a long arm if all your guys are follow up. I mean, they're not going to be able to work that. It's not going to work. So right. they don't have long arms. It's not, right. There's no reason to work a lot of speed rush if the guys can't run. Yeah. So, um, but, 
you know, it, it just it just depends on your athletes and, and things like that. And again, what your coordinator or what you're trying to do schematically to achieve. Yeah. Well, talk about some drills that you like to use that to, to teach pass rush stuff. Are you using a lot of hoops or pop ups or uh, what what are you doing? You know, um, if we're teaching a skill, I like using a partner more, um, just because you know I don't feel like the pop ups and things like that. Uh, actually teach you how to use a rush because it's not a human. Yep. Um, you know, so we're going to slow it down and talk about, you know, the rush itself and work with a partner. Um, if we're teaching like um, just a natural, um, you know, ability or a general synopsis of what we want done, um, I'm going to use pop-ups and agile bags a lot just you know, one of my favorites is hit turns on agile. So we're going to put a pop up on either side of two agile bags, and you're going to just do the classic uh, Bob SWAT with a right. So say uh, I'm going to work my right hand, and now I'm facing my left, flipping my hips. You know, uh, stepping over, and then I want to get square again to that next agile bag as a work a left so going the opposite direction been in the corner yeah um so just any way you can get their hips flipped i think is a good way to get warmed up um before you start working a skill um but a lot of my skill drills i work from a passenger standpoint or with a partner whether it be um chop dip, just the simple chop dip rip or um bob swat or hand blocks, which a lot of people call side scissors and swipe and things like that. You know, we're going to do that more on a man just from the standpoint of one. I think the kids learn better that way because they're seeing it done over and over again. Two, just getting the feeling of actually doing it on an actual person. Yep. Um, yep. And, and I think, you know, talking to high school coaches, that's even better because I know you can't always afford, exactly. you know, a bunch of pop-ups and exactly. things like that. So, um, you know, I think that's really good. Uh if we're working like a play action, you know, like a reaction pass rush, so pull slide and things like that, yeah. we'll use that on the sled. Some, you know, hit, and then I'll just scream pass, and, you know, it's a reaction, um, things like that. I think I think that's really good, especially if you're inside guys. I think that's an underdeveloped skill um, because if you look at guys who get sa- who leave the NFL in sacks or leave college football in sacks, they don't only get sacks on – third down or obvious passing downs, you know, um, they're able to transition on those, what I call choice downs, or it could be runner pass or transition on first down where it's an unusual situation to get a pass and still get a, still get some pressure, you know? Yeah. So yep. I think, uh, that's an underdeveloped skill, um, that we try to emphasize. That's something I do a lot on Wednesdays, you know, cause for me, in my mind, Tuesday's a run day, Wednesday's a run, play action pass day. Thursday's a pass day. Friday's a pass day. You know, in my mind, big yeah. game. So yeah. um, that's just kind of how I emphasize my drills. We're not going to do much pass rush work on Tuesdays, besides doing one on pass rush against the line. Yeah. You know, my drill work on Tuesdays. That's you know, I call it hard hat Tuesday. We're we're stopping the run on Tuesdays, baby. We're that's all we're worried about. Yeah. So, um, uh, but uh, so just. In terms of tailoring my week and the drills I do, that's usually my emphasis. Yeah. Well, and, and just going back and talking about all of your drills, whether it be you know your run stuff and your pass stuff, the good news for those high school coaches who are at a place where they can't afford all this equipment is you can get a lot of work done with very minimal equipment. You know, sometimes we can get caught up in seeing the stuff online or, or going and visiting a college campus and seeing all the stuff that they have. But, you know, man, really, if you just got a couple bodies out there, you can get a lot of work done. Uh, you know, like you said, yeah, you know, pod that, work man. and, and, and yeah. doing things like that. So, um, well, let's, let's, uh, before we get you out of here, let's talk a little bit about Liberty, uh, itself as you're there, you know, again, just, uh, in the middle of your first season there and, and, uh, some things y'all got going on there. So, uh, before we talk about Liberty specifically, uh, we mentioned at the, at the top of the episode that you're, you're recruiting now and you're open week. Uh, when, when evaluating a high school defensive lineman on film, what are some things that you're looking for from that tape? Uh, you know, I think, you know, if it's an edge guy, you know, I think pass rush ability is something that you naturally have or you don't. Um, we can develop you 
um, in terms of the tools you have in your toolbox, but just the ability to bend the corner, things like that is what we want to see. Um, playing the run, it's just more about are you willing to be physical or not at that position um, because you're going to learn the fundamentals that we teach on how to play that position. Um, so, you know, and then obviously the length and things like that for the level that I coach at. But um, I think more so just, you know, an edge guy, is, can he naturally rush the passer? You know, when he, when he steps on campus, can he just naturally do some of that? And then is he willing to be physical and, you know, extend his hands and put his face on people? Um is the first thing I look, or the first two things I look for, and then an interior guy. I mean, you've got to be able to be, you know, just very nasty. You know, if your if your whole tape is an inside guy, it's just you running behind blocks and you just running off the ball and things like that. I mean, occasionally that's impressive just because you're so athletic for how big you are. But at the same time, I mean, it, it, it sometimes is a red flag if none of your clips are you striking people and coming off blocks because. In college football, down in the middle, man, that's a down and dirty job. So, I mean, you you have got to be a war daddy. You've got to be willing to be physical. And I think, I mean, the more you look, I mean, inside guys at Division One level aren't always, or more and more here lately, are not six five guys. You know, they're guys who can maintain leverage and things like that. So, I'm more so looking for a war daddy that's willing to be physical inside. If he can rush the passer, that's an even bigger plus. Um, but I, I want to see physicality and guys who can get off blocks. And, and then for both of those positions, you know, I want to see a motor. You know, I don't want to have to coach effort. Um, if you can if you can play hard and do those things, man, you're going to have a big-time opportunity to be good for me. Because uh, the fundamentals, I'm, I'm pretty confident in what I can do as a coach. But uh, if you don't have that drive and that effort, I mean, I can't give that to you. So yeah. um, that, that, that first and foremost, is we want to see the motor and then those things for those specific positions. Yeah, I can just imagine every high school coach listening to us right now hearing you say that, that I don't want to coach Hefford is just nodding their head emphatically right now. Because <laughs> any of us who have guys who might want to you know, express the desire to play college football, I know it drives everyone nuts when you know you have that kid say that or express that desire and then they turn around and they give poor effort. It's like, man, those guys are not going to waste their time coaching kids who, who will not run to the football or who will not yeah. give great effort because – uh, that's just not that's just not something they're gonna they're gonna deal with. You know they'll coach you up on some other things, but they're not gonna deal. You know they're not gonna coach effort. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about Liberty now. And I'm looking over your schedule, and you guys, you, know, you play an independent schedule, uh, and and play some really um, some really tough teams and some big time opponents. You know you open up the year with Syracuse. Uh, you, you're playing uh, Rutgers in a couple weeks. You have BYU on the schedule, and then you have Virginia late in November, uh, w- along with some other really quality opponents there. So just in general, talk about the, some of the special things that y'all have going on uh, at Liberty right now. You know, we're only – Liberty's only been FBS for two years. And, uh, you know, on a four-game win streak right now, which is great for us. And, uh, you know, we've still got quite a few guys on our roster who are, who are recruited to be FCS players. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think we've got some really quality upper tier FBS players that even have, that, you know, even have an opportunity to play on Sundays. Um, so, uh, you know, that's an exciting time for Liberty. I and mean, then we've got a brand new indoor facility, a uh, brand new building in our end zone that'll be done in January. So this signing class we're about to sign will get to experience that for the first time. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a really exciting time, man. And being independent, um, is a unique deal because you're talking about guys that got an opportunity to play all over the nation uh, in big time games. Um, you know, we basically play half power five, half group five, and uh, play some exciting teams. And we, I think we got in 2020. I think we played four ACC schools. So um, it, it's a lot of fun. And it, you know, if you want quality competition, and quality tape. Um, to possibly play at the next level, I mean, this is a, place to be, a great place to be. And then obviously playing for a great head coach that's won a lot of, a lot of games, man, uh, at the highest level. So uh, it's an exciting time for Liberty, and hopefully we can keep this thing rolling. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, we're, we're just really happy for y'all, and 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 just want to thank you so much, Josh, for coming on and, and talking with us and sharing some knowledge. I know uh, I learned a lot from from our conversation today, and, and I hope that the uh, coaches tuning in did as well. I want to wish you the best of luck this next uh, or the rest of the season. And uh, again, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. Thanks, Ty. Appreciate you, man. Thanks once again to Coach Aldridge for talking with us today. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Coach A underscore L-U. That's at Coach, capital A, underscore L-U. Also, check out the show notes for a link to a Pete Jenkins drill tape from his time at LSU that features a six-point explosion drill and a three-point layout drill that Coach Aldridge referenced in our conversation today. Finally, if you're liking what you're hearing on KYPD, please rate and review this episode wherever you're listening to this podcast. That helps us get the word out to other coaches who are searching for a podcast like this one. Our quote of the day is this, treat a person as he is and he will remain as he is. Treat him as what he could be and he will become what he should be. And that's from Coach Jimmy Johnson. Well, that'll do it for us on episode 33 of KYPD. Coaches, have a great week. Say no to the tights. But most importantly, keep your pads down.